Hello ninjas and ninjets and welcome to episode 13 of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. This week I'm delighted to welcome Graham Todd, owner of The Spaghetti Agency and he's going to be talking about how to build monster social media engagement by being yourself. He's got a really, really incredible story and uh, kind of fell into social media accidentally and is pretty good at building a large and highly engaged social media following despite being the first to admit that he's not particularly comfortable in quote-unquote real-life networking situations. As always, if you enjoy the show, then don't forget to leave a rating and review wherever you found it. So Todd, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks, Tim. How are you? Not too bad at all, mate. Not too bad. So maybe you could start by telling us a bit about how you first got into social media. Yeah, sure. Well, all of a bit of an accident, really. Kind of fell into it. So about three or, three or four years ago, I used to drive a van for a, a small wine merchant. So I was driving a van for about 11 years, delivering wine all over the countryside, which is a, an interesting combination. And in about 2009, I went to a wine tasting dinner and one of the other wine merchants there suggested that I, I use Twitter because it was a great tool to build awareness of the wine merchants. And I did. And that started a, an incredible journey of using social media to grow awareness. But initially, I was very, very bad at it. And <laughs> I just used social media and, and, and made all the mistakes that most businesses use on social media. And really, I, I just started trying to understand how Twitter could work for business. And then fast forward three and a half years, I'm now doing that for companies and training them and running people's social media for them. And I no longer drive a van either. <laughs> That's awesome. And you actually built a pretty large, I don't think you're doing yourself enough justice, but you built a pretty large following considering you were delivering wine in a van, right? Yeah, I did. I mean, initially, for sort of three months, just tried to sell wine and it didn't really work. But what I started to do was actually share the journey, literally the journey of where we went, what we did, and yeah, just from the from the front end of a transit van and an iPhone, I built up an audience of of quite a large following, and I, I ended up accidentally sort of running networking events called tweet ups, where you get people from Twitter into real life networking. Anywhere between fifty and ninety people would turn up to those. I think we ran five or six of those over over the time. People were just really interested in the story. They wanted to know who we all were. People were all talking to each other in the town, and we ran some some great networking meetings. And yeah, it was all done from sharing selfies and, and silly stuff from a from a transit van and and then anyone I met on those journeys and, and then everyone else started to do it as well. So the community around here was was fantastic and still is. That's awesome. So kind of like a real life postman pat episode but with wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without the long nose and the glasses. Yeah. <laughs> and the cat presumably. So w when when we talk about building up a fairly large social media audience, what sort of numbers were you talking about in the in the kind of wine and van days? Actually, weirdly enough, with the wine merchant Twitter account, really, I got to about two and a half thousand followers, which was nothing really in, in in social media follower terms. But it was it was the interaction I got that was high. So because they were all people who really knew who I who I was. I mean, this is back in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, when Twitter was a little bit quieter. The interaction on it was really good, and people were, were literally following everything that we were putting out there. Um, and vice versa, keeping an eye on what everyone else was doing. So when someone wanted to do something, it kind of happened straight away. So just to give you a quick example, there's a shop in town in, in Warwick. Uh, a couple of guys run a shop, Home Interiors, and they won an award for the Daily Telegraph or Sunday Telegraph small business, small shops. And they went down to London 
and they were on Twitter, you know, tweeting like you do, saying, oh, my God, we just met Mary Porters. So she'd actually been watching our Twitter. So she'd been watching the tweets from all the businesses in Warwick, where they'd come from. And she said, look, what you're doing there just online is something perfect for a project that I've got set up called a Mary Porters Pilot, which is basically giving towns £100,000 checks from the government to regenerate their towns. So within a few minutes, I created a blog and put it online and tweeted it. And, and the next day, the mayor and the MP wanted to talk to me. So it, it was a really powerful network and still is really. It's, it's still pumping away now, even though I'm not really heavily involved with it. But it, it, So it wasn't the numbers. It was what you could do with it that's really, really powerful. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's it's quite a common thing, isn't it? People, I know I asked what the numbers are. People, you know, business owners tend to focus when they're looking at how successful their social is on how many followers they have or how many likes they have or something. Whereas what you've done is you've built a quite a local but highly engaged following. Obviously, if you can drive that many people to a, a tweet up, then there's got to be some really strong engagement there. Yeah, and it was it's the old thing. It's what you put into it. So there was a lot of groundwork that went into that. You know, 90% of what I put out from my ban on Twitter, people probably just thought, oh, sure, throw away kind of comment, you know, read it, move on. That's what most social media is. But without all that groundwork, without all the foundations, when you actually ask someone to do something, when you actually have an idea, no one's ever going to action it. And I, and I see it too often. Businesses rock up to Twitter and just start talking about what they want you to do. And it doesn't really work like that. So I, I, I spent a lot of time helping other people purely by accident for no motive whatsoever. Just saying, you know, I know where this road goes to here and this road's shut and I had to get around there. Or do you know someone that does this? Yes, I do. I delivered to them. They're over there. And I just kind of became a really useful connector in the town. And um, it just grew from there, really. It's, it's like anything in life, but social is the same, is you've got to give before you receive. And, and that's what I did, but just purely by accident. I had no idea really what I was doing at the time. That's really interesting. So you didn't have any clear goal. You obviously, there was a, a goal at the start of the campaign to try and sell some wine, which which <laughs> didn't work so well. But once you found that that wasn't working, did you replace this with a goal to build a following? Or was it just, hey, I'm just going to play around and see what works here? Just the latter. Yeah, I just, I just <laughs> enjoyed it. I, I'm a very bad salesman. And I I'd kind of said, look, let's sell some more wine because then I can say to my bosses, look what I did. I didn't actually tell them when I joined Twitter and they found out, I think the first thing they said to me was how much does a tweet cost? Because <laughs> they'd, they'd heard I was on the radio from, from something. And how did you get on there from Twitter? Oh, how did you do that? Well, I'm kind of using your company iPhone to go onto Twitter. Um, so they had no idea, but I, I wanted, you know, I ultimately wanted to sell more wine and it did, you know, we got people to wine tastings people came in and bought wine people knew of us a few weeks after i left someone sent me a private message on instagram to say that they were choosing us for their wedding and so you know there, there were some some big sales some small sales but it kind of tied in all the awareness they're a, they're a very old business they've been going a long time but it's added that digital angle to it yeah that's that's really really interesting so you saw some organic growth from fairly off off brand or off topic tweets, I guess, from just just posting about road closures and that sort of stuff. Did you work to develop a tone of voice or a particular character which, which worked and, and and appealed to people, or was it you're just completely being yourself with, as you say, no agenda whatsoever? Yeah, pretty much was I was being myself. So I really was the character. So the, the tone of voice was was my tone of voice. It was just how I was. To be fair, I, I, I sort of looked at the wine merchants I was working for and thought, look, I've got to be able to 
this has got to stand up against what they're about. So they were a very playful brand. They were just a small family run business, but they pretty much anything went there. Anything happened, they were happy to share. So if we broke wine, we shared it. If we bought wine that was awful, we shared it. We actually, we actually created a sign once that said, we've just drank this wine. It's so good. We've put the price up. And we put it up by three pound a bottle, which when it's eight quid a bottle is a fairly sizable amount. And I put it onto Facebook and a company down in London loved it so much. They called us up, put it in their blog and shared it to all their all their followers down there. And the pallet of wine sold out pretty quickly as well. And it was just we just shared. I shared anything I knew they wanted to share, but they were very, very forward thinking. They were happy to be. They were very much themselves and still are now. And it made it easier. Uh, some of the people I've come across uh, running my own businesses, it you can come up against a few barriers, a few blockades, because they are a little bit afraid of being themselves and being risky, whereas they just weren't. They just let me get on with it, which was great fun. Yeah, one of the, I can hear the the cogs going in, in listeners' brains thinking, well, you know, I could never do this because my audience is professionals or that doesn't really fit with, with my brand's tone of voice. What, what do you say to, to that kind of objection where they, you know, they, they're a bit scared about being their friend and um, being too, too friendly or being too playful if it doesn't quite match where the business has been so far? Yeah, you have to you have to find your tone of voice. But look, let's be honest, we're not dealing with business to business. It's always being people to people. So you are actually just trying to engage with another human. And ultimately, all these professional in inverted commas people, they have fun. They have a they have good times. They make mistakes. They have a few beers sometimes. They go out and, and chat to people. They say stuff they probably wouldn't say in the business environment. Do you know what? Sometimes if you're just honest, people connect with you a lot easier. You need to give people an excuse to connect with you. And I think if, you're, if you worry about tone of voice too much, we're not saying you shouldn't worry about it. But if you worry about it too much, you, you will stop people connecting with you. And initially, that's what I did for three months. And I was just trying to be professional. And I was sharing wine tasting tips. And I didn't really know much about wine. I was a, I was a wine merchant. I loved it. And I, and I was reading up about it. I'd done a course on it, but I wasn't an expert. So I was pretending to be something I wasn't. And it just didn't work. And it wasn't until I started to be myself that, that Twitter made a big difference and social media made a difference. So it's always about finding that angle. How can you be a human? How can you get that sort of socialness across because it is social media that is the point of it yeah that's really interesting and and what you said there is that even though you weren't talking specifically about wine or you know you're not even really talking about the product that you're selling and you're still building an audience which is generating sales for this product even in a what's pretty specialist market isn't it really yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, there was a lady, this is an interesting little story I can tell you. So I, I was just sharing the journey. So I, I, a lot of the stuff I shared was about Warwick, the town where I'm from. It's a medieval town. It's got a castle. The whole lot used to be within a castle wall. The streets are tiny. It's not modern. It's not tech. And I used to share the journey of all the things that went on, daft things, funny things, observations, uh, and anything really. There was a lady over in New Zealand and she would followed me for a while. We'd occasionally exchange tweets. I didn't know this, but she had family over here and she came over to the UK and she tweeted me from London and she said, I, I need to buy this bottle of champagne. Do you know where I'd buy it from? And I said, you know what I do? There's a guy in London and I can forget where it was now, um, not far from one of the courts. And I said, look, that's where you can go with the best price there. I, I basically sent her to my competition. I sent her to someone else because we had it, but she was in London. There was no point in me getting involved with shipping it. So I didn't think anything of it. Anyway, it turns out when she comes back to the UK again, she stayed in Warwick because that's actually where she's from, which is why she'd followed me the whole time, because she wanted to see what was going on. And I was the account to follow in Warwick at the time. 
when she came back, she said, where shall I stay? So I sent her to one of my customers. She said, I'd want to come in and see your wine warehouse. So she came in twice and spent money. She's all the way from New Zealand. But she would not have done that had I not shared the journey, had I not kept her in contact with Warwick. She just felt like she could see Warwick from Twitter. And that was a powerful bit of storytelling that that made her buy from me. But at no point was I ever trying to sell to her. In fact, at one point, I sent her to the competition and she still came back. That's so cool. And I love what you said. We were the account to follow or you were the, the account to follow in Warwick. I love when a, a small business is shooting way above where it kind of should be and, and it has much, much bigger visibility than you know any of your local competitors. It's probably just not even on their radar, is it, this sort of thing? I always say to, to, to my customers and stuff that it's David and Goliath. You know, as a small business, you can do what you like on social media within within reason. Whereas big companies, they're huge oil tankers in the sea and, and it takes them a long time to make a decision. Love it, love it. You, you mentioned in our, in our chat earlier that you're maybe not the strongest or not the most confident in real life networking situations. What is it about social that has kind of given you the, the confidence to be yourself? Um, it's just so much easier behind a keyboard. It, <laughs> it, it just is, which is why you get trolls. It's why you get awful comments on the internet, which I deal with daily now for my clients. It is a lot easier to say what you really think behind a keyboard. And in real life, you know, open networking, real life networking is scary to most people. You know, meeting new people, you're always told by your parents when you're a kid, don't talk to strangers. And you know, that's, that's the ultimate, don't talk to strangers. And of course, the same scenario comes into play. People go to networking meetings, they try and sell to each other. It doesn't work because you haven't built the relationship up. So I guess I've now got actually quite good at real life networking from the, the learnings from doing social networking. But it just gives you a lot more confidence behind your phone it's not that awkwardness. You haven't got that thing in the room. You can just run away and hide if you want to. And I just, <laughs> it was just me in my van. You know, I'd, I'd pull over, I'd carry a case of wine on one hand, hold my phone in the other, and I just had the confidence to talk to people. Um, now, you know, now I run my own networking meetings. Um, I'm pretty confident network. I'm pretty well known in in the networking community that I'm part of. So I guess I've got good at it now, and it, and it is an important part of business. But but social is just a great place, and and you will find quite shy people on there. People, especially in the creative industry, where they they are quite shy and they don't really go out and network. Artists and things like that. They are just so suited to being behind a screen, and if that works for them, that's great. I guess the leverage that you can get online is is so much more for say your your one hour of time or your two hours of, of a networking meeting that time spent online can be you know you can get visibility with with thousands of people maybe the the depth of the interaction might not be as great but certainly the the reach is is much larger oh you're spot on i mean as we're recording this just this weekend my dog got very poorly at the weekend and he'd eaten something nearby and we realized that he'd eaten some rat poison on a, on a race course near us so you know, I, I sort of went up to the race course to tell people, you know, just be careful. My dog's very ill and he's eaten something. But actually I actually thought, you know, it's way quicker to go online. Um, and at the time of this recording, I've reached really 50, 60,000 people through Facebook Live and Twitter. And and it's now into three or four papers. It's been on the on the local news and radio. And you just reach so many more people. As you say, it's not a deep interaction. It's not as strong as speaking to that one lady and her dog and her child. But I've reached so many more people. And, and I think you just need a combination of both, really. Yeah, that's so cool. Okay, after the break, we're going to dig into some of Todd's case studies, some more of his case studies, and get some insight into how businesses of all shapes and sizes can find their tone of voice and build an audience like he has. 
Interested in learning more about digital marketing and want to access the latest ninja strategies? The Exposure Ninja blog is where we share some of our coolest stuff. So if you want to see behind the scenes of some real-life marketing campaigns, find out what's working for us on the front line, and keep up to date with the latest in digital marketing, head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash blog. We update it regularly, at least twice a week. So if you want to learn more about websites, SEO, pay-per-click, social, Facebook ads, or anything else digital marketing, then head over and subscribe at ExposureNinja.com forward slash blog. Before the break, we were talking about how you got started, Todd. What are some examples of other businesses that you've seen who have done a particularly effective job of using social media to grow? Uh, what with my clients or with people I've seen as as I as I've moved yeah, along? Let's let's do one of your clients. Okay, cool. Um, we've we've got a client at the moment. They they've created an, an app. It's about ten years in the making. It effectively uses the uh, the, the gyroscope and and other parts of the phone basically rocket science with your smartphone to measure um distances and heights it's it's fairly technical but it's a it's a great app to have on your phone this guy found us through social media he's probably been working on it for the last couple of years now in development and we launched it as you would do twitter facebook get a blog um put a website up and they needed a brand and so we managed all that for him we had no idea really which way we were going to go with it at first and it took ages to get it through apple through the app store which was a laborious task but we're there um and then it launched we'd had some videos made some really really short videos showing you how to use the app which which i instinctively knew i had to put onto facebook so we embedded them into facebook and then started to advertise with them. Um, today, it ticked over to the 3.2 million reach on the one post. And he's currently top of the Utilities app store charts in most countries at the moment. We're just trying to break the US. But he's done that through Facebook advertising because Facebook advertising is so cheap. And there are still so many businesses that don't want to pay Facebook because it used to be free for such a long time. And I find it fascinating. But Facebook advertising is, if you get it right, it's so powerful. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? People's reluctance to do anything paid on Facebook. They'll spend, you know, three hours writing a blog post, 20 minutes putting a post into Facebook, and then they don't want to spend $10 to make sure people actually see it. It's madness. I <laughs> I, speak to, I speak to people all the time and say, you know, you've, you've done radio ads, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You've, you've been in the yellow pages. Yeah, yeah. Have you, have you done magazines? Oh, yeah, that's really expensive. Look, just take some of that money and spend it on Facebook. Don't even spend all of it. Just, just take some of it and spend it. I mean, the, the app that, that we're talking about, it, we've probably not spent four figures yet. We, we're not there. We, and yet we've reached millions of people. It's good targeting and it's a very short video and it's got all the ingredients for a good post, but it, it's not cost a lot of money. Yes, you can waste a load of money in advertising. I'm sure people listening have done that. Just get better at it and find your formula and then just use it. One of my clients uses the exact same audience every single time. She presses the button. It goes out there. She gets hundreds of leads in every single time. It's quite a niche product, but she has the same audience, but she's got it right. But she's tried it. She's probably spent money getting it right. But I find a lot of people waste a lot of money and then they stop. So it doesn't work rather than think, you know, what can I learn from what I've made? What mistakes I've made there? I can learn from that. I can tweak it. I can make it better. And then I can find the exact formula. And that may change. You know, that may need changing occasionally. But you have to just get better at Facebook adverts because they really do work and they will go up in price soon. I can't believe how cheap they are. Yeah, well, we've seen them go up in price already. I remember, you know, when I started doing Facebook ads in 2009, paying a couple pence for a conversion, um, whereas now it's uh, significantly more. So 
I just want to dig a bit more into the app example in particular. So 3.2 million impressions on that. Is that views of that video? Views, uh, views of the video is just about 2.6 at the moment. So that's right. the 3.2 is the is the amount of timelines it's been on. Um, a lot of those impressions will be down to autoplay. So when I look at the statistics, so many people still don't realize they can turn autoplay off on their Facebook. So you're scrolling through Facebook, a video starts to play of a young girl with a smartphone walking across your screen. It's it's caught people's attention. It's also caught people's attention because we've, we've targeted it at an audience that it isn't meant for. So we've actually targeted this app at the construction industry, which actually it's not meant for them. It's not 100% accurate. It's a smartphone measuring device at the end of the day. But what's happened is that the construction industry, have, have, as I said earlier, are brave behind a keyboard. And they've all said, oh, this won't work, or this is rubbish, or they've sworn. And they've been really quite abusive about it. And rather than delete their comments and just ignore them, I, I've spent time on every single one of these comments, replying and turning them into positives and having fun with them and checking out who they are and trying to reply to them on the same tone of voice without swearing. And get them on side, not so they can download the app, just so they can understand what we're trying to do and what we're trying to achieve. And most of them then turn into a positive. And what we've noticed with the Facebook advertising is because the post then becomes so engaged and actually there's a lot of positive language in there. The price seems to come down as well. So I don't know whether Facebook are tracking the words that you use in your comments. Uh, there's lots of um, arguments out there to say that they are. But it seems to have improved our Facebook reach and our, and our relevance score has gone up as well. So there's a, there's a big argument for just engaging with all these comments. I see so many Facebook ads in my timeline, as I'm sure you do. And there's loads of comments in there from people saying it's rubbish or it's this, that, and the other. And no one's replied from the company. And I just yeah. think it's a massively missed opportunity. That's really interesting. So you're deliberately targeting people that you know aren't going to purchase, but not only that, they're actually going to be annoyed by the thing that you're selling just because yeah. you want to get them interacting because you know that that interaction is going to boost the reach of the post. It, it works. In, initially, what we did mistakenly added them in and then it was like, oh, no, that's not really the audience. When we turned it off, the ads didn't perform as well. We weren't getting the comments. It, it wasn't going up in the app stores. And it, we, it's the only thing we changed was this was this one audience, just one audience, because we're only targeting five or six interests, keeping it really niche, really, really specific. And it was it's just made a big difference. So it's a lot of work for us because it's constant. I mean, I can see now my phones, several of them have popped up, you know, and I'll get to those in a bit. But it's it's working, you know. It's, it's adding the interaction that social media is supposed to have, and Facebook seems to reward you for that. That's Cool. So let's do a quick example and say that I've seen your ad for your measuring. So the app measures the dimensions of a room, right? But it's not entirely accurate. So I'm, I'm a decorator and I say that won't work. You need a laser to measure that accurately. This is a pile of rubbish. Go away, scammer. What's your response to that? I would say well, absolutely we're not trying to t take over um, a laser, but you, not everyone is, 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 is as good as you. Not everyone's a professional like you. So we're trying to help everyone have a measuring device in their pocket. And then we just leave them to see what they come back with. And do you find that people are responsive to that? Are they generally like, oh, okay, yeah, you know what, fair enough. I can see that someone's actually taking the time to answer. You know, I, I, I understand the deal now. Or, or they, do you have a bit more of a, a bit more cynicism to diffuse? Well, no, most of the time it's fine. As you say, if you respond, it generally puts the fire out. If someone complains about your business on social media and you ignore it, they get worse. They get hotter. They get more annoyed. Whereas if you go back to them and say, look, I appreciate what you've said. And I always start with, you're right. 
this isn't as good as a laser. This isn't as good. As, it's not actually as good as a tape measure. It's 99.9 or whatever it is percent, but it's not as accurate as a tape measure. But it's not supposed to be. It's to convince them. So I always lead in with, look, hey, your comment is correct. I need to tell you this. And that, that tends to work quite well. And you have to be careful how you word it. But most of the time, that they they come around to your way of thinking because we're, we, you know, we're not trying to prove them wrong or make them buy anything they don't want to buy. So it's social media at the end of the day. You're putting it out there for a conversation. So have a conversation. Yeah, that's a good point. And you're never going to control 100% of the conversation, are you? I We had, um, uh, we, we run a campaign which um, people had to, they had to, watch a free video and then they could they could pay a small amount of money to to get a book sent to them and it turned out that for some people on some browsers on their phones the paypal link didn't work properly for the order form there was a paypal bug uh, uh, it wasn't quite compatible with this browser so there's nothing that we could do to fix it so we got quite a lot of comments on the post saying hey i just paid i'm not sure if it's gone through hey the payment seems to be broken and some people saying you know oh, this is rubbish it's broken or whatever but we took the time to answer all of those and I think that actually gave us more credibility because we're, you know, when someone sees a Facebook ad, they don't know if the business is kind of real or not. They don't know if they're going to be engaged, whereas they can see us saying, I'm really sorry that you had an issue. You can try another browser or just direct message us your address and we'll send you a copy free of charge. That kind of builds a bit more credibility, I think, and, and builds that personality, which you've used throughout your social media career to, to attract such a big audience. Definitely. I mean, I, I made a huge faux pas one Christmas. I was using, I was looking after the social media for a company that had a rather large vegan audience. And I don't know if you've ever come across vegans, but they're pretty passionate about what they're, what they're about. And this product was suitable for vegans because it had no animal products in it at all. Uh, but the, the reasons were that the business owner had, had actually had health issues in the past and created their own food that suited their diet. Anyway, it suits the vegans. It's got a huge audience of vegans. At Christmas time, because the product was also gluten-free and dairy-free, we created some content around, you know, looking after your gluten and dairy-free guests for Christmas because it's a big issue for people because they worry if you've got a daughter or a nephew or an auntie come in and you've got to make Christmas dinner. So we made this blog post, but when it went out onto Twitter, it picked up the image from the post which had a turkey in it because, of course, a turkey hasn't got gluten or dairy in it. My audience isn't actually supposed to be vegan. It's just suitable for vegans. But, of course, you can imagine the problems we had for two or three days, just pure hell on Twitter. What we did was we actually responded with a personal blog from the business owner explaining, look, this is why this product exists. It's actually because of this reason. It's great that it suits you, but we're not actually vegan. And it was a real brave move, but we put the picture of the business owner who was female on the front of the blog post and it stopped every single comment. And it was like the biggest fire engine in the world just put out these flames that I've never seen anything die so quickly. And they were all like, oh, okay, cool. And they disappeared. And purely because we were honest. Some business owners in that sort of situation, they tend to get a bit more confrontational, don't they? They yeah. they recognize the backlash and instead of trying to fight the fire with some water and a nice cooling blog post they they react strongly and say hey guys it's not even for you why don't you check your facts out and, and it gets a bit aggressive but i've never seen that work well it's always it's, seems to end up in a social media book about fails <laughs> people like people like an argument online and you can i can spot them i've had a lot today we've got a post that went viral over the weekend and that you 
Some people just want an argument. They've had a bad day. They've stubbed their toe and they got out of bed in the morning. Someone's going to get it. And they just happen to go find your Facebook ad <laughs> and it's you that's going to get it. And that's cool. But you cannot go back with them with the same argument. You cannot go back with them with, with TikTok because it, it, it will go on forever. You have to decide when it's the right time to stop talking to them, but definitely don't ignore them and try and turn it to your advantage. And, and here's, here's, here's the deal. Here's what we're trying to achieve. It may not be for you uh, and see how it goes. Often you'll find it self-policing. Other people will then go on to that person and say, look, hey, give them a break. Give them a break. You know, this is what they said. You're not just ignoring that. And, and often we find that people just fight out amongst themselves um, and we just sort of stand, stand and watch it. But as you say, you'll never control 100% of it. What's the process that, that you suggest business owners go for when, go through when they start figuring out what sort of stuff they should be posting on social? Obviously, you know, you, you, you see it all the time. A business owner has gone onto Facebook. They've had an idea that they want to be on Facebook. They've posted a link to five of their blog posts and their homepage three times. Nothing's happened. They've called it quits and then they're gone. Um, how, what's, what's the alternative to that story? You you need ultimately you need a strategy. You need to you need to work out why you're on social because if it's to sell stuff, don't bother because that's not what social media is for. You need to be there to engage with people. So sharing blog posts is great because you're sharing value. That's fine. But you you're you're ultimately there to start a conversation with people. Social is a great place to ask an opinion of something. People love answering opinions. If you've got something coming up in your business, that's a great place to go and drop it onto social. You you can't approach Facebook without money. You have to have a budget. You, you just have to have a budget. And it doesn't have to be a lot. You know, £50 can go a long way on Facebook. But also look at everything else you've got in your business. If you haven't got an email list, I don't know, I don't know how you've got a business, but if you've got an email list, push, push your email list to social as well and try and engage people on there. Try and get people who are already connected to you on social to bring more people in. And then use the old school methods and stuff as well. There's so many people I find have got business cards and collateral without their social on it. And I'll go into pubs and restaurants and you don't know what their Twitter handle is. And there's so many opportunities where you can drive people to your social so that you can connect with them after they've dealt with your business or before they've dealt with your business. And you really have to look at it as part of the bigger picture. I think a lot of business owners look at Facebook and they see it as an opportunity and they just post a few things on there, like you've said, and then oh, it doesn't work. Well, nothing works on its own. It all needs to, to be joined up. And I just it frustrates me that social media is seen as social media. It's not seen as marketing because it is actually just marketing. It's the same as SEO. It's the same as your website. It's the same as networking. It's all marketing. It all needs to be joined up and speaking to itself. It, it would be like having a car with four wheels not joined together. It wouldn't get anywhere. And like all of those channels, I guess the other thing is that it's not it's not immediate. You're not going to start posting on Facebook and immediately see that you're getting traffic through to your website and that you're selling a bunch of stuff. It's, you've got to put in a lot of time. I'm guessing there were days in the van in the early days when you had very few followers and you're still posting anyway, knowing that it's going to grow and that you're going to pick people up over time. Yeah. I mean, when I first started on Twitter, I'd post at night on my laptop at home. I'd go to work in the van all day long and come home and I'd reply to the comments. That's how I thought social media worked. It wasn't until I got live with a smartphone that it worked. But you're right. In the early days, no one cared. I used to put stuff out there and no one cared. I'd put a tweet out there. No one retweeted it. I'd put something on Facebook and no one saw it because we didn't have any fans. You have to start somewhere. The beautiful thing now is that you can you can pay for likes in a, in, a, in a certain way where you can boost your page and advertise it to the right audience. You can get people to your content. There's some great things now like hashtag hours. If you're a small business, get involved with those. You can start building your audience, but it doesn't happen overnight. Nothing happens overnight unless you've got a big audience. I think, you know, if, if a big brand now suddenly joined Twitter and they'd never been on Twitter, sure, they'd, they'd be huge on Twitter within seconds. 
you know, as soon as as soon as Barack Obama joined Twitter, he had more Twitter followers. He broke records. That, but that's Barack Obama. You know, we're not all Barack Obama. So you, you do have to appreciate it. it's going to take you some time. But if you've got a system in place and you're tracking what you're doing, you can improve it. I think if you walk into it blindly, it will always feel like it's not working. You mentioned they're paying for likes and paying for followers through boosted posts or, or ads. Is that how you typically recommend people grow their audience in the early days? I think it is now. Um, when I started, you didn't need to. You could just get involved in conversation. Um, now it's really busy. So it's, especially with, with the app that we launched, we went straight into Facebook advertising with a small budget and just started adding to it. I think you have to approach social now with 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 a money mindset as as a marketing budget but you know to advertise on my local radio station is like 500 quid if you've got 500 quid to spend on a few ads on a, on a radio that no one's going to listen to then you could spend half of that on on social media and get a lot further but you you do have to approach it with a little bit of money but you should never buy followers as in get them off the internet and you know get hundreds of followers for vanity because it's completely pointless as i said at the beginning you know i, I only had two thousand followers on that wine merchants account but there were two thousand engaged followers who cared about me they knew my name they knew what van i drove they would wave at me in the street you know that's two thousand really engaged followers i mean, too many people worry about the numbers and the figures but you need a small budget you, you need to approach social with with a money mindset yeah one of the, I guess, the dangers of paying for followers on Fiverr or whatever is that you get a bunch of really untargeted followers to your, to your accounts. And then when you want to boost a post or you want to run some ads, you can't tell Facebook what sort of audience you've got because you've got this audience where, as well as having some qualified followers, you've also got this kind of generic robot generated crap. So yeah. You don't have a targeted audience. You don't have anywhere to start from. So in a sense, you're actually in a worse position than if you were to just build a smaller audience, but make sure it's a bit more organic. Definitely. I mean, it's the classic I see that someone launches a new business and they, they put it onto their personal Facebook. Please like my page. It's like, okay, but I don't need this thing you've got right now. But yeah, but like my page, I need more likes. Okay, cool. But you're going to have like two, 300 people from your Facebook right now going to like your page but they don't like what you do. So we're really not going to be the best fans for your page. And then they then make the mistake of boosting just to their fans of their page and think, but 300 of them liked it just to help you out. And it's, you've got to, you've got to have the right audience. You have to have the right audience all the time. When, when you're driving, say email traffic and email list um, to Facebook to, to become a fan, would you advocate using some sort of call to action or selling the selling the like uh, sort of you know follow us for something or do you just say follow us on facebook no always always tell them why they should go there what what's the point you know our own personal facebook we we use really for advertising so what you see when you just look at it is daft stuff typos grammatical errors silly things and we'll say to people look that's what we share most of it's funny it's very entertaining, just as our email is. That's what you'll get there. But yeah, if you're if you're going to sell, share value on there, if you're going to help people do certain things, then you know there's some great Facebook pages out there that, that I follow that give you great advice and tips. And yeah, tell them you're always going to tell someone what they're going to get for it because ultimately people care about themselves and they will always do something because of what they get from it. Doesn't matter how saintly and how godly they are. Ultimately, you care about yourself. So when you're clicking on things, you're looking around the internet, you're always looking how it benefits you. So if you're going to drive someone to social, you've got to give them the benefit for them, not the benefit for you. Yeah. Has to either make them healthy, happy or sexy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So does this stuff only work then for 
um, fund companies or, you know, the accountancy firm, how how are they going to possibly, maybe they don't have a an inherent sense of humor. I know we always pick on accountants. <laughs> yeah. There are, there are, there are definitely funny, sexy accountants out there. Um, but it, as a rule, it's a, it's an industry where, you know, people tend to perceive it's a little bit more boring, which you, it's probably right. Cause you kind of want your accountant to be boring. Right. Um, how would a company like that approach social? How do they find their voice? The great thing about an accountant is we all need one. So you, you've already got a plus point right there. What we, what we need from you though, is not necessarily what we want. So that's the kind of argument, you know, we don't want an accountant. We don't want to have to pay someone to tell us where to pay our money. That kind of sucks. But what an accountant's got is loads of great knowledge on how to save you money. A good accountant will help you save money by paying less tax in the right places. And I actually work with a few accountants and that's what we try and work on is, look, what's the benefit for your future customers and your audience is saving money. That's what you do. And we work on just sharing that kind of value. And actually, it is fairly exciting when you when you start to look into it. There's some incredible platforms like Zero with their own apps, and you can track your mileage, and you can sync it all together. It's actually quite a sexy industry. It's just traditionally very boring, and you kind of don't want to go in, into it. But it's all about the, the value to the to your customer, and there are everyone is your customer. That's the beautiful thing about it. Not everyone is my customer, although you could argue that marketing appeals to everyone. But with an accountant, all of you, all businesses, your customer. It's about sharing the knowledge and the and the value from that business that that helps people. So they talk about you to other people, and and I actually work. My, my accountant is is quite fun they are interested and they share all sorts of great content i'm going to start to get them into video into facebook live ahead of everyone else because people are scared to do that and you've got to look for your competitive edge and do something that your competition are not doing i guess the great thing about being in a market like accountancy is you're competing against a load of really great really boring accountants so you don't have to be the most hyped up weirdo in the world to be just slightly different um, no, you, I mean, you're playing against people who, uh, you know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? Yeah, that, that's why I had in the wine merchant days, because actually it's a very, very traditional market. There were, uh, all, most of the people that ran wine merchants and still are, uh, they're an older generation. You know, the guy that told me to join Twitter was wearing a tweed suit. You know, I know that. <laughs> It wasn't cool in 2009. <laughs> that is a very traditional era. So I was completely different what I did then, and it, and it attracted attention. It attracted attention of, of, of the wine sellers. It attracted attention of the Moe rep came in and knew who I was because he'd seen the social media. So they were all looking at it thinking, how can we do what he's doing? Or we, we can't do that. And it fascinated them. And so I think if you're in a, an industry like accountancy or law, or, you know, there are a lot of constraints. You can't say certain things deal with it work around it there's there's something we there's lots of things we can't say and i think it is harder i've got a friend who's a financial account advisor and it's really hard for him but there must be a way find a way find a way to do it and do it quicker than your competition and and get the competitive edge and ride the surf for as long as you can do it and then change it when it stops yeah if we look for a reason not to do it we're always going to find one aren't we always Cool. I, I want to change tack a little bit and ask you about automation um, because there is so much automation in, in social, whether it's like auto DMs when you follow someone or Buffer just recycling boring tweets. How can companies use automation so that they don't appear completely robotized? I, I look, I approach automation because I use it. I approach it as a skeleton. So if you think of your automation as the skeleton of your content that's the best way to do it if it's the entire body you're doing it wrong it needs to be just 
a part of your content so that you've got something going out so that you are sharing your blog posts and you are doing the salesy bit. I kind of use automation to pump out my content and sign up to this and that because I hate doing that. So I automate it and I don't send it out live. Well, that, and what I actually do then on social is chat and use social media and share what I'm up to. Certainly Twitter has been ruined by automation and, and it has been, it's been ruined by marketers like me because it is very easy to just automate absolutely everything. I've just been on a hashtag hour with a client as, as them. And there was one account in there that was clearly automated, but it, it's one hour live networking and you've automated content into it. And it, it, no one was talking to them. No one was talking to them at all because it was just so obvious it was automated. So I guess that the challenge is making sure your content content it, it doesn't look automated, which is really difficult because if you if you automate a question and then someone replies and you're not there because you automated it, it's kind of kind of fail. Um, I, but saying that, I get a lot of visits to my website due to automated tweets, and a lot of people read my content. Um, it's you've got to use it both ways, really. You've got to be live and you've got to use automation. Um, if you think about it, adverts are automated, but you're there to respond to the comments. So the app, the app advert for my client, you know, that is automated. It's being pushed out to timelines by Facebook's algorithm. But when there's a comment, we're responding live. We're right there. We're there straight away. So I, I guess you've got to use it, use it with a pinch of salt, I guess, and, and just don't, don't rely on it. Just have it as a bit of a skeleton. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the thing about Twitter in particular is that the frequency which you've got to post in order to be seen, you know, significantly by your audience, the the Twitter feed has just moved so quickly. So there has to be some sort of automation there. You're not, you're never going to be able to sit five hours a day behind Twitter posting for your business, are you? You just go out of business, you know, within a matter of weeks. So you have to leverage tools like Buffer for to, to do that. Do you set up a, a large kind of stream of stuff to go out? and then cycle that or what, what's your kind of strategy for creating that um, automated stuff? For our own company, it's a simple one. So I blog once a week and that blog will then go out onto Twitter quite aggressively that week. And then it will go into a cycle where it'll get um, shared quite a bit, you know, across the month. And that's kind of how we use it really. So there's a stream of content going out. Anything I read on the internet is interesting. Donald Trump interests me. You know, that was a massive marketing exercise. If I saw things like that that interest me, I'd then add that into my, you mentioned Buffer, it's great because you can just add it into your stream and it puts it in into the next available slot. So yeah, though I, I am guilty of resharing old content, but as you said, people will miss your content. They, there are people that have read blogs today that I've been sharing for, for years and they've never seen it because they just followed me on Twitter last week. So it's it's a real tricky one to gauge, and I don't think anyone's really got it right. It's difficult. Some some of my followers, they only follow a hundred people. They probably hate me. You know, I'm, I'm tweeting 20, 30 times a day. Um, we had a complaint for one of our restaurants recently. I mean, it's coming up to Christmas, so they they've got a Christmas menu and, and we've, we've got to go for it. You know, you have to get those Christmas orders in. So we're, we're sharing it as many ways as we can, but Hey, it's just a menu. You know, there's only so many ways you can describe it. And one, one guy said, okay, I get it. Christmas is coming enough already. And it's like, <laughs> do you know what? Some people have asked us when the Christmas menu is coming out, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and I've shared it up like a hundred times and they haven't seen it. So it's really difficult to get it right. It really is. And, uh, but you can't listen to that one guy that said, Hey, I get it. You can't listen to that one guy because behind him are loads and loads of people who haven't even noticed. Yeah. The rule of marketing we always use is just as you're starting to get bored of saying the same thing over, you're starting to creep into your audience's consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's good. I'm going to steal that. 
Cool. So you, I just want to talk quickly about frequency and then we'll wrap up. You mentioned tweeting 20 or 30 times a day. Um, do you have a set frequency which you'll use on each different social network or is it really dependent on the market and the business? Yeah, pretty set, to be honest. I mean, I, I look at Twitter. Twitter's really busy, so 20, 30 times a day is, is okay. Um, Facebook, my personal Facebook, I now share quite a bit on there, probably five or six times a day when different things pop up that I'm talking about. LinkedIn once a day, I think that's enough on there. I think they're okay with that sort of amount of content. I think your business page on Facebook needs to be carefully thought about probably once or twice a day is enough. But then you look at tools like Snapchat and Instagram, again, that's a constant feed. It's just throwaway stuff. People are just going to skim past you. And you've got to work on how you can be there all the time, but also how you can do something that really jumps out and says, hey, look at me, take interest in what I'm doing, because it's very noisy out there. So I don't think it's, I always say it's like the stock exchange. You know, imagine the stock exchange, everyone's in there, they're jumping up and down with a phone, they're saying buy this and sell that. They're all the same. They're making the same noise. You've got to make a different noise. Um, you know, you go in there with a with a trombone or something. Just do some, something different where, that no one's done before, and then people will notice you. It's, it's not about adding to the noise. It's about making different noise. Completely agree, and that's a great place to end. So, Todd, thank you so much. Uh, where can people find out about you and the Spaghetti Agency? Uh, you can find us, the uh, Wild West Social Media Cowboys, anywhere with Spaghetti Agency. Um, and I'm Social Media Todd on most social media tr- platforms. So, uh, yeah, just come say hello. Todd, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much, buddy. Thanks for having me.